Why don't we let the uh, children be dismissed at this time for a junior church? And as they do that, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 through 39. Hebrews chapter 10. Over the last few weeks, I have uh, preached to you a series of sermons that uh, I recognize are, probably at some level, difficult to uh, receive. Uh, Responding to them in all that they mean is... Nothing short of one of the greatest challenges of the Christian life that you and I have been called by God's grace to live. This morning, I, I, I was thinking about this passage a couple weeks ago. I read it at the elder uh, board meeting on Tuesday night. And I just couldn't get away from this text as what I think can be an effective conclusion to our discussion about discipleship, which is living a life doing what Jesus did. I, however, realized that following the life of Christ and his teaching and his encounters with his disciples, that there were often times when the truth that Jesus Christ spoke would wound people before it could heal people, or it would sting people before it could sing to them. And so I think there's a sense in which, as we study the Word of God, it will often strongly confront us and rebuke us. But we also realize as we read through Scripture that it is in a sense, sprinkled with words of encouragement to help us live out the difficult truths that are part of the Christian experience. So this morning, I'm going to give you this brief summary of where we have been over the past few weeks. The road of discipleship is doing what Jesus did without compromise. It will always involve cost-counting and risk-taking, which must be accomplished while remembering that the love of Christ is life's greatest treasure, and that it, that relationship, lurks on the far side of every trial born, every risk taken, and every cost that you and I will ever encounter. This morning, the question I want to ask is this. Are you, in your Christian life, going to finish strong? Are you going to finish strong? strong. Now, I have this subtle conviction. For those of you that are here today as adults who are here by choice, I, deep in my heart, I can't help but believe that you want to live the Christian life well. That you want to run strong and that you want to finish the race of the Christian life strong for the glory of God. Otherwise, I don't know why you would be here unless it's possible that you're here because you want people to know that you go to church. But in a church like, there are other churches where you could go and not have someone declare the Word of God to you in a way that is confrontive and sometimes may feel offensive or a bit over the top or a bit strong. There are other places you could go just to be religious, to kind of check it off the list. So I have an assumption that as you come here, you want to, at some level, live the Christian life and you want to do it well in a way that when you stand before God, He will say to you, Well done, my good and faithful servant. If that this morning is your heart, if you could say honestly before God, God, I want to live my life for you well, and I want to finish well, then my prayer for you this morning is that this discussion from the Word of God will be an encouragement to your finishing strong. That's what I want this to be. 
I want you to leave here today with a can-do attitude. I want you to leave here today with a mindset that says, by the grace of God, I can live this life that God has called me to for His glory to the end of my life, whether that be long or short. I can, by the grace of God, finish strong. The book of Hebrews is a book that is written to new believers who you can tell from the storyline that Ron read for us are suffering because of their faith and trust in Christ. All right, they've made a commitment to Jesus. They've begun following Him. And their Christ following has involved, clearly, cost-counting and risk-taking. They could show you their checkbook and demonstrate to you from their balance sheet of life that there is a, a demonstrable loss in their life because they have chosen to follow Christ. They had seen people lose their lives under torture through the Roman government. They had seen friends have their property plundered and stolen because they followed Christ or they were in cahoots with people who knew Christ. There was an experience of loss early in the church. You can read through the book of Acts and find this accented over and over and over and over again. Christianity always involved risk-taking and cost-counting. That was the road. Well, let me ask you this question this morning. What is the effect in your life of risk-taking and cost-counting? What is the effect? When that cost-counting and risk-taking occurs over and over and over again, I'm going to tell you what the effect of it is. It begins to wear you down. And you begin to have questions in your mind, questions like this. Is it really worth following Christ through to the end? Is it worth living a cost-oriented, risk-oriented Christian life? Should I make that sacrifice? Should I be that committed to obedience to Christ that I stay in relationships that are difficult to stay in? That I seek reconciliation with a brother or sister in Christ when there's a rift between us? That I seek to share the good news of Christ with my co-workers who do not know the Savior? at the risk of losing a relationship and sometimes jobs. Is it worth it? When you start to pay the price, I can guarantee you that question will be launched into your mind by the evil one. His fiery darts will raise a doubt about the cost that you are paying to follow Christ and to be loyal to Him. And I believe this passage of Scripture is written for those who were in the Hebrew community. They are Jewish believers who have sacrificed much for the cause of Christ. And their temptation in the midst of that sacrifice is to begin to count the cost and ask themselves, is this really worth it? So this is a text that is written to encourage the hearts of those who have experienced cost for Christ and in the past have successfully paid the price. They are being asked, to do it again. And as they face this latest flare-up of persecution and trouble, there's a temptation on their part that I think is clearly indicated by this paragraph. And the temptation, I think, clearly is this. It is to step away from their faith because they are tired of paying the price, of taking the risk, and of counting the cost. Their temptation is to take the cross that they have picked up and to lay it down and say, you know what, I think, frankly... I've had enough of this life. And the writer of Hebrews writes to say to them, please reconsider. Please reconsider cost-counting, risk-taking, God-honoring living until the day that Jesus Christ returns. 
And so from this text, I want to just hit on what I think are four reminders that emerge from the passage of Scripture. And I'll begin reading in verse 32 to highlight the first thought. The writer says to them, remember those earlier days. Okay, which, which clearly means these are people who have some history in relationship to Jesus. They've known Him for a period of time that's long enough that they could start to think back. Okay, I can tell you this, at 48, you can start to think back. You can remember earlier days. I can remember life without a computer. Okay, I remember life before cell phones. Okay, sometimes my kids are shocked when I tell them these things. I remember life before LED watches. You know, this kind of stuff right here. I remember life before that. I remember when the man walked in my dad's store, who his son worked for NASA. He had a gold, red-lighted LED watch. Remember those? It had the black screen in the background and red lights. It was the first watch that ever went into production with LED. The man's name was Norm Berg. His son worked for NASA and had developed that technology. Put it in the form of a watch, gave it to his dad for Christmas. I remember when watches had hands. When you had to know how to tell time. I remember that. <clears throat> what Paul is saying is this. These are, or what the writer is saying is, these are believers who have gone far enough in Christ that they can remember their history in Jesus. And at this time in their Christian experience, they're facing a temptation to throw in the towel. And the writer understands that. He understands the pressure. He's not going to minimize their suffering. He's going to speak directly to it and call them to stay faithful to Christ through to the end. So remember the earlier days. And, and then this phrase is very precious. After you had received the light. Now you ask yourself this question. What does that mean? Remember the earlier days just after you had received the light. Now a song should come to your mind. Hallelujah, I saw the light. What is the writer of Hebrews calling these believers to do? In a situation where their temptation is to throw in the towel and say, you know what, I think I've had enough. He's saying, wait before you do. Can I plead with you? And this, this text takes on this form of entreaty, a call of a father to an errant son or daughter, pleading with them, drawing them back. Remember the earlier days when you saw the light? What is the writer referring to? I think his audience clearly is people who, who in verse 32 have seen the light. They have acknowledged that there is for them a Savior who is Jesus Christ. They are believers who can remember how precious the truth of 1 Peter 3.18 was the first time they got it. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. The just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God. They remember when they heard that truth about the substitutionary death of Christ in their place on the cross so that they could be free from their sin. You know what He's saying to them? Remember when the Holy Spirit knocked on the door of your heart and gave you the gift of faith and trust in Jesus and the glorious gift of repentance where you cried out to God and said, God, I am a sinner. And He changed your heart. Folks, if you're tempted to throw in a towel, here's one thing you need to do. And do it regularly. Go back to the cross of Christ. Rehearse the gospel. Look at the cross on which your Savior died to pay the price for your sin. Remember when 
the glory of Christ's death for your sin was first received and you went out and you could not stop talking to people about what Jesus Christ had done for you. Now let's be honest. Our love for Christ can grow cold. We can get used to being forgiven. I remember when I first started dating my wife. If you ask my parents what that was like, they would tell you I talked about her nonstop. Telling them all the wonderful good things about Ruth and why. And what I was really was doing is trying to convince my parents that I think this is the one. We say to people in marriage, when I do marriage counseling, one of the things I always do with people is call them to remember what attracted you to each other. Yeah, there are some songs on the tape of life, on the CD of life, in someone's experience that you may not like, but remember the things that drew you to the person. Yeah, the part of Christian living that I don't like is suffering and risk-taking and cost-counting. But the writer wants them to remember that along with that came freedom and the hope of eternity. No fear of sin and judgment. Go re-examine the cross. If you're looking at what it means to live a cost-counting and risk-taking Christian life, and you're wondering if it's worth it, this writer is saying this, remember your earlier days. When you first saw Christ, and when you sang about Christ, it overwhelmed you to the point of tears, because you were caught up in the wonder of what He had done for you willingly on Calvary's cross. And what is he saying? Don't throw in the towel. Remember what He did for you. I read for you these words from a song called The Wonder of the Cross. O precious sight, my Savior stands, dying for me with outstretched hands. O precious sight, I love to gaze, remembering salvation's day. Remembering salvation's day. Though my eyes linger on this scene, may passing time and years not steal the power with which it impacts me, the freshness of this mystery, the freshness of this mystery. May I never lose the wonder, the wonder of the cross. Listen to this next phrase. And maybe you just need to go to God and say, God, make this my heart. May I see it like the first time, standing as a sinner lost, undone by mercy and left speechless, watching wide-eyed at the cross. May I never lose the wonder, the wonder of the cross. Now folks, listen. The Christian life is hard. And when you struggle, you need to remember the moment when God opened your eyes and showed you that for you, a reckless Sinner deserving judgment. There was hope. Through the shed blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. So one of the things you need to do to finish strong is you need to remember that Christ died for your sins, the just for the unjust. You need to revisit the moment when you trusted Christ as your Savior and Lord. I can remember when I was six years old at the end of a service on the Gospel, which I heard regularly crying out to God, walking forward in a service, and saying, God, I understand today that I am a sinner. And that you paid the price for my sin. And I want to trust you as Lord and Savior of my life. I remember 12 years old doubting that decision. And going back to the place again with God. And saying, God, I just I want to make sure I got this right. 
And just over and over in my life, God has just reconfirmed and reclarified the glory of the cross of Christ. And as the writer of Hebrews writes, he calls them, remember the earlier days after you received the light. When you trusted Christ and your life was changed forever by His grace. Never forget, my dear friends, this morning, when you first saw the infinite worth of the Gospel, when the message of Christ became clear to you personally. Secondly, in verses 32 and following, second half of verse 32, the Word of God says this, Remember those earlier days when you stood your ground in the face of suffering. It's a very fascinating text, isn't it? Remember the earlier days after you saw the light when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. And here's the second thought I want to give you. I think you need to remember former or past God-wrought victories. Okay, when you're struggling with staying faithful and following through and finishing strong, you need to remember in the past when you stood tall and you saw God bring victory in your life in the face of cost-counting and risk-taking. And I believe it's how the author is unpacking this. His, their response to the gospel was, they stood their ground under great stress, but with great hope and patiently. The word that he uses at the beginning of that phrase, you stood your ground in a great context, in, the face of, in a great contest, in the face of suffering. A large extended period of time when the early church suffered because of their faith in Christ. What did they do? They they clenched their teeth and they stood their ground in the face of a profound, long, extended contest of suffering. He then, in verse 33, gives us detail about what they experienced. And why does he do this? He wants them to remember the severity of the earlier trial so that they're strengthened for the moment that is before them on that day. 33, he says this, Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult, and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. So here's the way it unpacks a little bit. They had experienced in their former struggle, in which they were successful, public humiliation and embarrassment. The word is theatrizo, which we get our word theater from. It means they were put on a stage and publicly mocked for their faith in Christ. Now, doesn't mean they were literally brought forward in front of, a, of, a, of an assembly like this, but there was some form of public disgrace that went along with their profession of faith in Christ. And they endured not only insult, which by the way, I don't know if you ever think this way, but one writer has made this observation. He says, you know what, you can kill me, but don't disapprove of me. How we crave for the approval of people we carry ourselves in certain ways so that we have their approval. Disapproval is a profoundly difficult thing to bear. It's why we talk about peer pressure. What is peer pressure? Peer pressure is concern about what others think about you and your decisions and your values. Sometimes it can be very good because it can move you in the right direction. Sometimes it can be devastating. In this text, he's calling them to remember the struggle that they experienced right after they had come to Christ. And they were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. And, and if you go back and you read through what some of this might mean in ancient literature from the first century, you'll find that Nero literally dipped people in wax and burned them as candles. 
put them on poles, crucified them along the streets to make a public spectacle of the early church. That's the kind of suffering these people endured. Folks, let's be honest. I don't have a clue what that's like. I don't know. But they did it because they had seen the light of Christ. And they experienced a victory that the writer calls them to remember. In verse 34, he says this. You sympathized with those in prison, which tells you that some of the early believers were put into into prison like Paul was. That it was not an odd thing, an odd occurrence. It was normative for Christians to experience suffering. And he says, you, brothers and sisters, sympathize with those that were in prison. And then this next phrase is just an amazing thing. He says, you joyfully accepted the confiscation or unlawful seizure of your property because you knew that you had for yourselves a better and lasting possession. The thought that came to my mind this morning when I was reviewing this was when Jesus says, if someone takes your coat, give them your shirt. Okay, which to me is an odd text. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn the other cheek. If they take your coat, give them your shirt also. And that's a, to me, is an amazing passage. What's going on in that text? I think it has something to do with the theme here. If they take your coat, say, oh, that's okay, I have something better. It's that kind of a, because they are so connected with the future blessing of God, they are experiencing in their current experience freedom from this attachment to material things. They experienced the unlawful seizure of their property, but they did it with joy, with a smile on their face. Folks, imagine what would happen in America if the government started taking church buildings from churches. Imagine what would happen. We would be demanding our rights. We would be insisting on our rights. We would be wondering why this is happening. How did these people respond when they went to prison to visit a brother or sister in Christ who was incarcerated for unlawfully proclaiming the name of Christ? They come home from that and they find their house burned. Because they went and stood with those in prison. And they got home and got, got to their house and it was destroyed or plundered in a riot. And that's the idea of the words here. Folks, that's exactly what's happening in India today. Those that profess the name of Christ or associate with those who claim the name of Christ experience this kind of pressure. What is the writer saying? He's saying, remember the past God wrought victories that you experienced with joy. Why did they do this? Because they knew, they knew the end of verse 34, that they themselves had a better and lasting possession. Folks, that's the only reasonable explanation in this text. If someone steals something from you and you go ballistic, it means it is your vital, precious treasure if it's done in the name of Christ. In this context, what are the believe, what's the believers, what was their response? Their response was, we knew that we had a better and lasting possession. Yes, you can have that. If it's in the name of Christ, you can have it. Because I have something better that God is preserving for me. In this text, the ground of Christian joy under times of stress is this. Present loss will always bring lasting joy. Folks, here's the question for you this morning. Do you have that kind of perspective? Do you have that kind of perspective? And and I want to say this. I think 
When I read that, I'm thinking to myself, that sounds like real freedom. That sounds like real freedom. They had a better and lasting possession. Therefore, whatever I have, if you need it, you can have it. You can have it. Why? Because I have something that I am so looking forward to that this will pale in comparison. May God give us that kind of joy. He says, you did it in the past. I want you to do it now. Why should we remember in this kind of a way? And, 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 and I think when we go through a current struggle or trial, I don't know if you're like me. I have a tendency to think you are in some ways. You ever heard, you, you heard someone say, you know what, I have never been this hungry before. Or when it was really cold a couple weeks ago. I don't ever remember it being this cold. Right? Kids going home from school, I've never been this hungry. Okay? What do we tend to do? We always tend to think that the immediate crisis, whatever is in our life at the moment, is the worst thing we've ever experienced. Do you know that experience in your life? Never hurt this bad? I've never had it this bad? Okay, what's the writer of Hebrews saying? He's responding back to them and saying, oh yes, you have. You just forget. We need to remember the past God brought victories because they give us confidence to face the future for the glory of God. So, remember when you first saw the light. Remember when the gospel of Christ came clear to you. Remember the former God brought victories that you have experienced. Maintain courage now and God will reward it Third, verse 35, the beginning of it, he says this. In light of these thoughts about your faith in Christ and about your former and past victories, he says this. So, in light of those things, do not throw away your confidence. Beginning at verse 36, you need to persevere. Okay, two times he calls them to remember... That the power to finish strong, okay, to get done this cost-counting, risk-taking race, the power to finish strong, is rooted in daily life choices. Folks, you need to cultivate in your heart a relationship with God in which you daily reckon with what it means to be a Christ follower. You need to talk to yourself on a daily basis. It, it, it brings back for me the words that we looked at a few weeks ago in the, the Gospel of Luke. Jesus said, take up your cross daily and follow me. Okay, if I'm going to live the Christian life successfully and finish well, I need to realize that finishing well will be rooted in daily choices. And in this text, there are two choices. Do not throw away your confidence. In what? In God. In the salvation that Christ has given you. In the past successes that you have experienced. The fact that that power is available for you today. Don't throw away your confidence. And then he says this to them. He says, you need to persevere. Idea of this word very simply is this. You need to stick with it. Which indicates to me this. It is normal in the Christian experience that you and I will go through times when we wonder whether the sacrifice is worth it when we wonder if dealing with more rejection is worth it. The pressure will cause you to want to give up on your commitment to Christ. And what the writer is saying is this. Do not throw away your confidence in God. That past pattern of bravery in the face of suffering, don't throw it away. Maintain a trusting confidence in God that leads to, verse 36, 
persevering so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. And what it does is it focuses for me what it is that I'm supposed to persevere in. You see, it's easy when you're suffering to focus on the pain, to focus on the loss, to focus on the suffering itself. What is the writer saying that we should focus on? He says when you're in that circumstance, focus on doing the will of God persevere so that when you have done the will of God. Ask yourself, remember the disciples' question? In every situation, what do we need to do in this circumstance to be a devoted follower of Jesus Christ? Okay? And remember, daily choices will enable me to do what Jesus did. I can do it because I trusted Him as my Savior and Lord. I can do it because in the past He's demonstrated His faithfulness to me. I can do it because daily choices will lead to finishing strong for the glory of God. I'm reminded of James chapter 1, verses 2 to 3. And just listen to these verses real quickly. The writer says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith, the trial that you're facing, will produce perseverance. Hupamane is the word. It's the same word used here that's used in Hebrews chapter 10. When you make choices to find joy in spite of your circumstances by doing what Jesus did, He will give you, and this is what this word means, patience. It means staying power in a context of suffering. Staying power in a context of suffering. We need to be committed to sticking with it in spite of the circumstances that we face. And what I love is the transition that he makes at the end of verse 35 and at the end of verse 36. Notice how he says this. Don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Notice what he does. He talks about the future hope that enables risk-taking and cost-counting today. Okay, And he starts to point forward. Now what he's going to do is reach back to the book of Habakkuk and grab an Old Testament promise that was issued to the nation of Israel in a context of suffering that they were experiencing. And what did they want to do? They wanted to turn away. You remember the story. When they came out of Egypt, all those that came out in the Exodus, every one of them did not make it into the promised land. They experienced a level of deliverance, but did not exercise and place full faith in God and did not finish strong. And so the writer of Hebrews picks up this passage of Scripture. In the context of this, you will be richly rewarded in a way that will cause the painful memory to fade away so that when you have done God's will, you will receive what He has promised. And here's what you find. There are rewards in the future that belong to faithful disciples of Christ. And that is a theme that comes up over and over in the book of Hebrews. The last thought that emerges is when we read the end of this chapter. And you just, just listen to this, verse 37. <clears throat> Persevere, don't throw away your confidence for. And this is reason. In just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. Now folks, just let that thought settle in. What is the writer of Hebrews saying? He's saying to people who are suffering, in just a little while, the word in the Greek is mikron. Can we get our word microscope to see small? The time of your pressure, of your suffering, will seem but a moment. When you taste what he talks about in the end of verse 35 and the end of verse 36. 
Your patience will be richly rewarded. No one will stand before Christ and say, I am sorry I lived a fully devoted Christian life. In fact, in my experience, I have never found a mature believer in terms of age who has come to me and said, Pastor Tim, I'm sorry I sacrificed so much for Christ. Who enlightened me. Who showed me victory. Who gave me great and precious promises through daily decisions. And who is my hope. Never had that happen. I have had many older Christians say to me, I wish I had done this. I wish I had done that. Folks, this verse is very, very powerful. In just a very little while, in terms of eternity, our life here will seem but a vapor, but a moment that is vanishing. And then he who is coming will come. And he will no longer delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. And I love verse 39 then that kind of draws us back out of that, that question, that warning there. Verse 39, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are in the process of being saved. Folks, listen to this. We are not of those who shrink back He's, what is he doing? He's identifying with those that he starts talking to in verse 32 who have seen the light of Christ. He's identifying with them. And he's saying to them, corporately, the writer and those individuals, we are not of those who shrink back. We are not of those who lose confidence. We are not of those who are afraid to persevere. We are of those who believe and are saved by the gospel of God's amazing and glorious grace. Here's the principles that emerge out of this last thought. Remember, He is coming in just a little while. And it will cause the pain that you have experienced to be a fading memory. Jesus Christ uses this illustration when He talks about the birthing of a child. Now ladies, I can't relate to this personally, but it's what Jesus said, okay? He said that when a woman gives birth to a child, the severe pain and travail that she experiences is covered over, is blanketed and forgotten because of the joy that has come into her life when she sees that little baby. Now, I've been to the hospital a number of occasions as a pastor to visit with moms after the birth of children. And when I walk over to that little bassinet and look at that baby, the mom doesn't say, hey, hey, forget that. Come here, I want to tell you about the process. I'll be honest with you. I've never had that happen. Ever. You know why? Because in normal circumstances, I understand they're extreme, but Jesus is saying, normatively speaking, the joy of that little one erases the pain. What the writer of Hebrews is trying to do is the impossible. What I'm trying to do this morning is impossible. I'm trying to give you a glimpse of what heaven is going to be like. John chapter 14 and verse 6. I am going to prepare a place for you. 
a dwelling place for you. And one day I'm going to come and I'm going to take you to be with me where I am in this glorious place that is free from pain and free from suffering. And it will cause this suffering to seem a distant memory that is barely recallable because it will be annihilated. It will be erased by the glory that will be revealed. So folks, this morning my question is this. Are you going to finish strong? Are you going to finish strong? Because I realized this morning that there are all kinds of obstacles in the way of our lives. All kinds of things that we want to point to that are reasons for why we can't be fully devoted people who do what Jesus did. And this morning, my, my heart's desire is to cur- encourage your heart to look back to when you first saw the light and trusted Christ. To look back to times when God has been faithful to you. Has answered prayer in times of struggle. Look back. And that's what Paul says. Remember that when you stood firm in the trial. Remember that the Christian life, victory in the Christian life is made up of daily little choices. That begin to paint a big picture. That is the story of your life. And remember that in just a little while. He who is coming. And I just love this. He who is coming in the process will come. And his reward is with him. This morning I ask you that question. Are you going to finish strong? Would you bow your heads with me quickly and then I want to show you a video clip.